He lo and welk m to asp esh o q mo me ot cast with poof ut and e re shul manth os os of you that lis end toop of ut on hum um ill ast year yul rem em burp alls imp ro vised story ab out Christmas. All. Wilb. Eep. Earth. Or. Ming. His. Ed. In. Brush. Oak. N. Nil. Arch. Is. Ed. At. The. Bloom. Spreeth. E. A. Turf. Is. Year. On. How. O. Ween. But. If. You. Have. Unt. Got. Ick. Kets. All. Red. Eeth. A. Show. Is. All. Doubt. How ever an ext rad eight has been adden fourteen des embers oh get your et quick so that you don't miss out on the fun of seeing our guest Paul Foot on Halloween thanks to all the suggestions that you emailed tweeted and Facebook into the show Paul Foot will be improvising another story on Halloween so let me tell you a story about uh, something that happened to me on Halloween last year. I was, uh, well, it was just it was Halloween evening, and I suddenly thought, oh, I haven't got any pumpkin pie. And I suddenly thought, I want some pumpkin pie. I don't know why I thought it in that strange voice, but I did. That's the voice that I had in my own head when I thought, I need pumpkin pie. And I started wandering the streets, asking people if they got any pumpkin pie. But then I realised that my Halloween costume was not, in fact, warm enough for, for the October temperatures. And I should explain what the Halloween costume was. Well, it was wearing a pumpkin on my head. I, it, all it was, I, I had a very warm head, basically, because I had a pumpkin over the head with candles inside the pumpkin, which is traditional on Halloween. So my head was almost burning, you know, the candles. I couldn't see out properly as well because there were flames in front of my eyes. And it was very, uh, um, very hot on my head. But the, my body was cooler because I was dressed as a fish. A deep water fish, and I just had uh, just some very very thin scales to keep the uh, wind off me, and it was very cold and unpleasant. And also, I had this stench of fish about me. So I was going around saying, oh, "You know, has anyone has anyone got any pumpkin pie?" Put people off with a funny voice as well, and the fact that I had a pumpkin for a head, and that I had flames and candles coming out of my eye holes but also the fish smell. And then I remembered that it was Halloween, and I remember that on Halloween, that's when children ring the bell expecting sweets, you see. And uh, so I thought, well, why don't I pretend to be a child? Ring the bell and ask for a sweet, and then maybe if they give me some sweets, I can build up towards a pumpkin pie. So uh, I started to ring on the bell, and they said, oh, go away, you stinking fish. And you're just as a fish as well. I'd say, that's because I'm an orphan. I'm a little orphan from the orphanage. And we have to dress as fishes with fish scales on us due to cutbacks. Uh, What with the, uh, as we know, a lot of problems in the Eurozone and so on. And But then I knocked on a door and there were people there dressed as zombies. So I was very frightened. And I thought uh, they were... They were part of the uh, living dead, um, and they were going to come and get me. Uh, so then I wasn't sure who was giving whom the trick or the treat, you see. So 
uh, I thought, well, could it be that their, their, their trick was being dressed as a zombie or was the treat that they were going to give me pumpkin pie or they didn't seem to be giving me any or was I giving them a treat uh, which was uh, a lovely bit of smoked salmon because they started to carve at my legs. My, I had uh, smoked salmon stockings on and they started to just pull little bits of smoked salmon off my stockings and eat it. And they said, this is a marvellous treat. We haven't had smoked salmon for ages. But then I realised, uh, well, they realised it was a trick uh, because underneath the smoked salmon stockings, I was wearing a pair of pantaloons made of apples. And they had to... Uh, bob for they had to bob for the apples, uh, which was very awkward. That involved me uh, standing. I was just standing in a pond. Very embarrassing in the end, really. Standing standing in a pond in someone's garden uh, with uh, apple trousers, whilst people tried to. They're all like biting all around my ankles and so on, trying to pull the apples off. They had to put their heads right down into the pond and try and bite the apples off my ankles and I thought well this is not going well and this is taking me further and further away from my original quest which was just to get some pumpkin pie and it's at that point that I thought that I realised that someone was in a costume I thought they had been in a costume but they weren't and it turns out that they weren't dressed as zombies but they were real zombies um, they had uh, escaped from a local graveyard um, and uh, I realised uh, that they were going to dress me up as an ostrich rider, which is something that uh, zombies often do. And it's a frightening business. I mean, it's, people think, well, what do zombies do? In films, they sort of go, and sort of do miscellaneous scary things like frightening people and making them die and things like that. But in reality, what zombies tend to do is to dress them up as an ostrich. They dress them up as a baby ostrich with ostrich feathers, then put them onto an ostrich. It's frightening because the ostrich goes ever so fast. It doesn't fly, but it does run ever so fast. And it's um, much more difficult to control than a horse. So you've got no uh, stirrups or, or reins or anything. And so you're just holding on to this ostrich's neck for dear life and I was holding on to the ostrich's neck and I thought you know things can't be getting any worse for me and it was at that point that I realised that we had accidentally stumbled upon a pumpkin p party and we entered the pumpkin party and the ostrich immediately sniffed out some pumpkin pie it wasn't obvious where it was it was in a larder but the ostrich has a much better sense of smell than humans and the ostrich went towards the larder and took out a pumpkin pie and it was at that stage I realised that the ostrich wasn't an ostrich at all but actually a nun dressed up as an ostrich from a local nunnery so uh, and then I pulled off my pumpkin off my head, revealing candles 
and I took the candles off and then I took off my apple pantaloons underneath my apple pantaloons I was wearing as it happens quite by chance a nun's habit and uh, we realised we were both dressed the same uh, that underneath all my costume I'd been dressed as a nun all the time and the nun uh, was obviously underneath the ostrich costume was dressed as a nun which is what nuns do because they're nuns they don't dress as nuns they are nuns then they're not dressing up it's not a joke for them for them it's real and there was an awkward moment between us when we realized she was an actual nun i was pretending to be a nun and then we both ate the pumpkin pie and uh, as she ate the pumpkin pie she had to um sort of she was wiping at her face a lot of pumpkin pie dripped down and it was at that stage that i realized there was a mask over her hair face and I pulled at the mask and I realised that underneath the nun mask, as the nun mask ripped off, it wasn't just the mask, but it was also the whole nun costume. And underneath, I realised it was someone dressed as me wearing a Paul Foot costume. And then he, in the Paul Foot costume, pulled at my face, because my face had pumpkin over it, and underneath it was a Frenchman. And then Paul Foote said to me, you haven't even got a proper French accent. You've got a very strange accent. I bet you are not even a Frenchman. And he pulled at my Pierre mask, because my name was Pierre. I was a Frenchman called Pierre. And he pulled at the Pierre mask, and the Pierre mask ripped off to reveal... A Claude mask. I was Claude, still a Frenchman, but called Claude. And then he said, I still don't... I said, bonjour, I'm Claude. And he said, I still don't believe you're a Frenchman. And he pulled at the Claude mask, and underneath the Claude mask was a Sebastian mask, another Frenchman. And he said... This is ridiculous. You can't just having one have one Frenchman mask under another. And then I realised that the candle had fallen from my pumpkin and I was sitting on a candle. And then I died. That concludes the story. Carry on listening with your equipment to hear an interview with me. And or go to the Twitters and follow me on the Twitter, my name is at Paul Foote on Twitter. Or go to my website, paulfoot.tv. You can do that now, perhaps pausing your equipment to visit the website. Or you may decide to immediately listen to the interview and to go to the website later. Of course, by then you may have forgotten. That is the gamble we both take. Goodbye. So, Paul, you started performing stand-up whilst you were a student at university. Was comedy something that you always wanted to go into? Only since I was 19, Sarah. When I was 19, I was at university and people said, oh, have a go at comedy. And I thought, I'll have a go in a little student place where you could try. And then just I thought I'll only do it, do it once just to, just to say I've done it, really. And as soon as I did my first one, I decided that was going to be my career forever. So I basically became a comedian on a whim. And what was your first gig like? 
it was funny. I said, funny thing. It was, for the first two minutes, I was so nervous before my first one that I could hardly breathe or anything. And when I went on, for the first two minutes, no one could even hear my voice, even with the amplification of the microphone, because I was speaking so quietly and nervously. And everyone just sort of s sat there awkwardly, not knowing what to do. But then I did say some funny things, but I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't know that you were supposed to have things you prepared or anything like that. So I just sort of made stuff up and just said things like, what's your favourite fruit? And then made things up to do with what they said and it seemed to go surprisingly well. And then that was it, really. So your style hasn't changed that much since you started out? Well, it has changed. It hasn't, it hasn't. In some ways, it has changed massively. I've gone to all different types of comedy I've done, and like rant comedy and doing a mime or doing some strange story and all sorts of different things so there's been loads of style and loads of art creative development but on another level it hasn't really changed in another level it's always people have said this before that whatever weird thing i'm doing it's still kind of paul foot style it's just you don't they don't really notice the difference it's just paul foot doing some stuff and they don't even notice whether i'm doing a rant about something or whether i'm just doing some ludicrous character dressed up in some ludicrous clothes it's all the same thing so yes in a way it's remained the same and also one thing that certainly hasn't changed is that i i have become no more slick now than on my very first performance slickness is not in my nature shambolicness is the constant within my career so it's almost as if there's a pull foot brand that your connoisseurs can expect when they see you perform? I suppose there is, and it is me, really. At the end of the day, I think uh, different comedians work in different ways, but I think with me, I have my own way of doing it, which is quite idiosyncratic. It's not designed to be idiosyncratic. All I've ever done is to just do what seems the most obvious thing to me. I've done always done the most obvious comedy, the thing that seemed the most obvious style for me, the most obvious things to say, and then later people say, oh, that's highly idiosyncratic, that's original, that's different. But anyway, I have that style which just comes from me. So basically, me, it's, it's the me, it's, the, it's my personality in a way that marks it out more than anything else. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing. It's always me doing it. And even if I'm doing something relatively conventional like some sort of comedy that is broadly sort of based on observations and a sort of rant thing it's still not really like other comedians and so how soon after starting comedy did you create the guild of connoisseurs i did i i created it in about 2000 or something like that or might have been later might have been more like 2004 or 5 I know that um, I got fed up with at that time I was a kind of club circuit comedian I would go to places and often didn't tend to go so well and people wouldn't be in tune with what I was doing and also I perhaps wasn't as good as I am now you know there's that, that element as well so obviously I've got better but um Probably the main thing, more than that, the, the biggest factor was just people weren't all in tune. But I would sometimes go to a show, I remember in about 2002 or something, I'd go to a club night 
and I remember once half the audience had come specially to see me, but then the other half hadn't, and they didn't like it, and they ruined it for the half who did like it. So then I thought, what I need to do now is to hand out postcards to people at the end of the show, and that's how it all started. I would hand out postcards which told people about the Guild of Connoisseurs. I didn't I didn't care about the people who didn't want to take a postcard or who said, oh, I don't like comedy. I only liked, it only mattered about the people who did. And, uh, and, you know, gradually as time went on, the people who didn't like it stayed away and the people who did like it joined the Guild and f- came to the shows. And, and And after a few years, I could do shows sold purely in my own name just to people who wanted to see it so it was that was the change and now of course i can do uh, obviously i've got this show at the bloomsbury theater which is publicized that's part of my national tour but i've also got other things like my secret shows which people have to be a member of the guild of pulford connoisseurs that's all i can say about it really because otherwise i'll get in trouble with all the people who work for me organizing such things but uh, I'm very enthusiastic about the secret shows, but they're also very enthusiastic to keep them as secret as possible. So it's only people who are even on my mailing list who find out. It's not even on on any uh, websites or or any uh, you know listings, magazines, or anything like that. So it's a big change now. Now I've got my own guild, and that just sort of runs itself. And then you say on your website that the most informal way to address you is by writing to his comedic majesty the president pool of the guild is that correct yes that's the most informal way if someone just wants an informal way that'd be the best way and obviously there's more formal ways that can also be used do you find that a lot of people write to you with that salutation yes a lot of people do use that informal style which is quite acceptable i mean i don't mind people using an informal way of addressing me like that it's quite all right well, speaking of your secret shows and your national tour, you, you've performed in all different kinds of venues. Do you have a favourite venue that you prefer performing in the most? Well, I like all different places. You can't really say, and in the end, it boils down to audiences and what the people are like. But I suppose if I had to choose a particular setup, that was my favourite, it would be the theatre. I like performing in theatres. And some theatres, when they were very well designed, are feel much smaller and more intimate than they are. It's very interesting. Like, for example, the Bloomsbury Theatre, which I'm performing at soon, um, I've sat up at the top of the circle, and it seems very big when you're looking down. But when you're on stage, just because of the design of it, it feels much more intimate. And so you have feel you have a real connection with the audience. So... And I did one in Australia with 3,000 people in the audience. And it felt small. It felt like maybe 500. So I love performing theatres. It's my favourite. Well, you performed a lot in Australia. And the Australian Chortle described your show, Ash in the Attic, as one of the best comedy shows ever to have been performed in Melbourne. So do you find that Australian audiences react differently to your comedy in comparison to British audiences? Well, it would be an interesting question to answer if I were to say they did. But actually not. I found the more I do it, the more I realise that whether you're doing it in UK, Australia, America, I've done it, or in Europe, places like Denmark and Norway, where obviously they speak English, actually all audiences in all parts of the world are basically very similar. People are the same. It doesn't matter whether you're 
Chinese, French, English, whatever. We're more similar to each other than we think. And people react to things in very similar ways. Of course, there's adjustments you make when you go to different uh, countries, perhaps certain references they don't understand and technical things like that. And there's sometimes slightly different reactions at certain or certain um, countries have slightly different sensibilities. Like, for example, in Denmark, they tend to be on the surface of it slightly more reserved than, say, in Australia. But in the end, once you've scraped through that veneer and just broken the ice and it really doesn't make much difference. So I like audiences everywhere. Of course, I love it in Australia. Australia is one of my favourite places to perform. I like the people there equally as much as anywhere else in the world. The one thing I do like about Australia more than perhaps other places, such as the UK, is that the weather is warmer, which is always an advantage. And going back to your previous question about the venues, again, you can't really give any definitive answer, although I said... At that moment, oh yes, I prefer theatres, they're my favourite. Then I think of my secret shows, which are quite different to the theatre shows. They're just a small number of people in a much sort of less plush and posh environment, in a sort of, sort of slightly shambolic, it's much more sort of shambolic kind of arrangement with a, with a sort of a function room uh, above a public inn where I'm sort of take ticking people's names off the door myself and it's all a bit sort of anarchy and I just go around doing anarchical things that you wouldn't do in a theatre show which is slightly more formal they're all fun you can't really you can't uh, really say anything really like that Every, everywhere is fun and it all comes down in the end to people that's what makes it fun it's the people it doesn't matter whether you're in Australia UK wherever or in a theatre in a club wherever in the end it's the people that make or that make it fun. Do you find that the people ever heckle you? Not very much. I mean, years ago, perhaps they did. Uh, when I was doing more of the club circuit, even then, it's rarer than people think. Uh, this is one of the things that often people talk about in comedy, and it's one of the th things if people start off doing comedy, they fear the most is heckling. Even in the most adversarial club environments most of the time people don't heckle and most of the time if they do heckle they try and be helpful like sometimes it's not re really a true heckle at all it's they're interacting and saying something like yeah i've done that as well or something they just did. that's not really a heckle and even sometimes that they'll say oh get off mate taxi or whatever but even then normally they're doing it because you are actually struggling as a comedian and they're kind of trying to help you out a bit. And, and audiences like to see someone succeed. I know from experience, because I've had many, many gigs like this years ago when it didn't start well and it ended well. Audiences like to see you struggle, but they like to see that you want it round. And you, you know. So it's very rare that the heckling is actually meant in an in a ill-natured way. I mean, I remember a few years ago doing a sort of Christmas show and uh, there was quite a big audience and all these, there was like a, hen, a huge hen party and they were all saying, get off, boo, jokes are rubbish, you know. And in the end, I saw, there was a bit of a battle between me and them and in the end, I kind of lost the battle and had to go. And then as I went out, I went past all this hen party as I walked out and they all said, oh, nice to see you, yeah, great fun, happy Christmas. And it really brought home to me, if I, as if I didn't need, need to know already, 
that there was nothing personal in it. It was just a bit of fun. They were all a bit drunk. They were having a Christmas party and they enjoyed maybe one of the other comedians listening to his jokes and with me, they just enjoyed a bit of a bit of a battle, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't personal. On only very, very rare occasions can I actually say it's been personal and unpleasant. And then you just have to deal with that as any human being has to deal with someone being unpleasant to them. Well, speaking of your style of comedy, your own style has influenced comedians such as Russell Brand. Are there any comedians that have influenced your style of comedy? I don't think there are, really. I've always attempted to not even attempted to, just I have always created my comedy in a kind of artistic vacuum. I've never been particularly interested in other... Com- obviously, I've seen other comedians and other shows, and, and I'm not saying I don't respect other comedians. I very much respect other comedians, and I often admire other comedians' work. But I'm not someone who's particularly into comedy. I mean, if I wasn't a comedian, I probably would never watch it. It's wor- I suppose maybe I would more, I don't know, but it's for me it's work. And when I get home, I don't want to watch comedy. I just want to watch a murder mystery or something. And other comedians are different. There are other comedians who are like an, an encyclopedia file of information on di- other comedians and other, you know, say, oh, blah, 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 and that's a reference to that and that's similar to that. And I'm not like that. I just sort of don't really take much notice of what other people are doing and certainly I do find that often if I do watch other comedians because what they're doing is so different to the angle of attack and the way I would go about things I don't think I could learn anything from them anyway and I don't think they could learn f- I don't know whether the, well I suppose there are comedians newer ones who have been influenced by me but but I don't know I don't think pe- perhaps people could learn from me but they, I don't think they could I don't think they would struggle to copy it and do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comics? The advice I always give, and it's trite, but it is the best advice, and that is to keep going. That's what, I, you know, when I went through very difficult years, when I didn't have many gigs that went well, and it, you know, most of them would go really badly, and I would just say to myself after each one, keep going, Paul. You've just had 10 that went badly. You've got to try, do another one. Just keep doing it. It sounds trite, but in the end, it's the secret to success in anything. Because in the end, the reason why I'm now successful and able to make a good living from comedy, etc., 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 is various things to do with, you know, people like my comedy and talent and other things. But in the end, the main reason is because I carried on, as opposed to some other people who also were very talented, who I've seen, uh, who sort of said, oh, I don't know, I'll give it a break for six months and blah, blah, and then they never came back to it. I think stopping it is very dangerous. I think once you start something like comedy, just you could just keep on it. I've never stopped. I've never said, oh, I'll give it six months, too much stress. It suits some people, but I just think if I ever stopped, that would be very dangerous. So I just carry on, just c- keep on that conveyor belt. And do you have any tips or advice for students? Well, I'll tell you... Uh, my advice, um, when I got a student loan, I invested it in the stock market and then made money from it and then immediately paid it back. And of course, it's effectively, there's no interest on, or certainly in those days, you could get this student loan and then there wasn't any interest on it or no effective interest because it was just linked directly to inflation. So uh, made quite a bit of money on the student loan. So my advice is to do that then 
you can then reach the end of your student days with a little bit of money to your name and then you can gamble it all on the horses and lose. Did you always gig with colourful ties? I, I've always worn ties for... Not all, for always. I used to have a sort of indeterminate clothing style and then a few years ago I went to sort of family function where I wore a sort of strange cardigan and a tie and then... Uh, in fact, Trevor Locke, I remember it was, the comedian, he said to me, oh, so that's what you wear to a family function. And so kind of from that evolved the idea that maybe I should actually wear something a bit more thought through when I went on stage. And then gradually it kind of evolved into not just on the stage, but kind of as a sort of uniform for life now. I wear it at all times, unless I'm in my... The only times I don't wear my show business uniform are when I'm uh, in my own home or within one calendar mile of my home or if I'm on an aeroplane then I'm in my pyjamas and I always wear different ties like this tie is my that I'm wearing today that people can see on the radio uh, this tie is my UK tie fact, I've made a big mistake I really should have worn my bow tie because on radio I always wear a bow tie I probably forgot because it was a pre-recording it probably I'm allowed not to wear my radio tie but if it were a live recording I would have to wear the radio bow tie. I always wear a bow tie on radio, a colourful UK tie, I've got a different one for Australia, another one for Europe, another one for the rest of the world, another one for funerals, another one for birthday and I think that's it. Oh, another one when I'm in Deal or Sandwich in Kent. So that you don't miss out on the fun of seeing our guest Paul Foot on Halloween. Thanks to all the suggestions that, that you... you... <laughs> <laughs> So that you don't miss out on the fun of... <laughs> oh, for seeing. <laughs> so you don't miss out on the fun or... Fun or... <laughs> Can't look at words Has. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what I was saying. 
Unbelievable. <laughs> 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 Mr. Word. Do you think we should like each write out 